Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. As we've discussed often on this show, healthcare providers, doctors, nurses, other practitioners, they've had a few rocky years. Stress and trauma of COVID, workforce shortages and disputes, plus reports after reports that say that many providers are retiring and there are few and fewer that are lining up to take their place. That is why we were struck by the words of our next guest. Dr. Stephanie Lahr is with us today. She's president of Artisite Incorporated, and she's going to talk to us today about bringing the joy back to medicine. I, I love that phrase, bringing the joy back to medicine. And Dr. Lahr is the perfect person to talk to us about how technology in particular might make that happen. Because Artisite, Dr. Lahr's company, was just presented with Chimes Innovator of the Year Award. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Collective Voice of Health IT, a weedy podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Albright. I'm Chief Legislative Affairs Officer for Zealous, Z-E-L-I-S. Zealous is modernizing the healthcare financial experience for all. I also serve as the Policy Committee Chair for WEDI. That's W-E-D-I. WEDI is a national membership organization where the health information technology community connects collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. And this, of course, is the collective voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. And as I said today, we're excited to talk to Dr. Stephanie Lahr. Stephanie is president of Artisite Incorporated. And as they say on the commercial, Stephanie is not just the president of Artisite. She also was once a customer of Artisite. Dr. Lahr brings two decades of informatics and healthcare administrative expertise to the role. She previously served as chief information officer at Monument Health, and is an active member of the health IT community. She works with Chime and Hims. Her passion and goal is to reduce friction and, as we mentioned, bring joy back to medicine. Stephanie, welcome, and so glad to have you here on The Collective Voice. Well, what a wonderful introduction. Thanks so much. Every time you say bring the joy back to medicine, it's reinvigorating for me. So looking forward to this conversation. I am too. I, I love I love to hear this. So, um, what I'd like to do is back up a little bit, though. We're always interested in individuals that have started on the clinical side, uh, actually providing healthcare to patients, who then move to the technology side. So, can you tell us a bit about that journey? Yeah, I can tell you it was uh, completely non-strategic and accidental, <laughs> um, as I think that often is the case. So I, I trained in internal medicine, um, and during my training, we actually I trained in Galveston, Texas at the University of Texas Medical Branch, and I trained at a time when we had a hurricane, really actually close to the end of my training. We had gone live with um, an EHR system, and this was, you know, 2008-ish era, um, a year or two before uh, the, the hurricane, which was pretty uh, pivotal at the time, right, because there, that was not something that a lot of organizations were doing outside, particularly outside of academic health centers. But we really had deployed this widely. And now we find ourselves uh, in a massive hurricane. The, the university system essentially closed, our hospital closed uh, for many months. We, of course, had lots of patients who needed care. I had five feet of water in my own home. Um, and as we were trying to sort through how we were going to tackle all of this, um, a handful of the higher level residents were moved to a clinic about 25 miles off the island. Um, I, I had an office with no windows, but a, a computer, a fax machine, and a telephone, and full access to all of our patient records. And 
at this time, being just about a little over a year into the migration of that, we still had a whole bunch of paper records and they were soggy, wet messes 25 miles away underwater. And it was really, really impactful to me, the ability to be able to work now with patients who were displaced in an incredibly stressful situation and have access to their records, have access to their prescriptions, be able to get um, information and prescriptions that they needed sent to other places. And as painful as it was maybe to go through the process of the implementation, et cetera, for me, it was a moment where I thought there's just no way forward other than to leverage technology in these ways to be able to, to have access to this kind of information and then see where that takes us from there. Um, I After I finished my residency, I went into private practice as a hospitalist in northern Idaho. I grew up on a cattle ranch in Montana and moved sort of closer back to, to family and, and where I, I claimed I should not likely have to worry about a hurricane again. And when I was interviewing with the CEO of the health system, I remember asking him, what EHR are you using? And he looked at me and said, because you want to use one? <laughs> and I said, <laughs> as a matter of fact, I do. I mean, I, they're not the, you know, they're not my most favorite thing, but I, I just, I can't see how we don't, you know, move forward in this way. And he said, well, I got to be honest, you're the first doctor who's ever asked me if you could use an EHR. We are using an EHR. We're getting ready to go through some major upgrades and projects. Would love to have your um, insights and viewpoints since you've done, or your your input and uh, viewpoints, and would really um, welcome you leading maybe the physician side of this. And so I jumped in and and just started first doing some work with my own um, practice as hospitalists, and then started working with the ICU doctors and the cardiologists, etc. I then found out that there was actually an ability to get board certification, medical board certification in clinical informatics, and decided, you know, if I was really going to uh, start putting some of my career focus into this, I should probably get additional education. And so um, I started pursuing uh, various courses and things that I could do to improve that knowledge and then sat for my boards and, and was um, got board certified in clinical informatics. And so for me, again, it really was one of those elements where I felt like if this is a tool that we're going to use clinically, then clinicians need to be involved in how we make it work. And I certainly wasn't going to be in a position to sit back and complain if I couldn't be a part of the solution. And yet we can't have every doctor spending part of their time doing that work. We need as many of them as possible focused on taking care of patients. And even more broadly, I saw my role not only just representing physicians, but really the entire clinical community. As a hospitalist, I knew the intricate workings of case management, nursing, physical therapy, speech therapy, because I was working with them all the time. And so, again, that kind of really began this journey for me where I was working as a clinician some of the time, working in informatics some of the time. I got to a point where I was I was doing both jobs full time, which is not really super sustainable, and had to make a decision about where to start guiding my career and felt like um, moving myself more squarely into that intersection of technology and healthcare delivery and being able to um, bring knowledge from both places together was probably the route that I should take and, and really owed it to my physician and, and clinical community to do that. So started, um, you know, moving, moving more and more in that direction and then moved into a variety of different 
clinical leadership roles, both as CMIO and then later as CIO um, at Monument Health. So that's kind of the broad journey of um, my my clinical into informatics and IT career. And, and then obviously we can jump into how I went from that side to then moving from the provider side, at least, which was always familiar to me now over into the vendor space as well, which has been quite a transition over the last year. Good. Very good. Let's, let's get to that in a minute. But I just got to tell you, for an origin story, that is terrific, right? Because it, it aligns so much for the reasons why we need to get off paper and go electronic on so many things with healthcare, right? So literally the 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 the, the healthcare records are are underwater at a time when they're most needed because it's a natural national natural disaster. It's just that is that is uh, striking how how beautiful that is a metaphor for for why we need to go digital. Yep. I think of it often. And and during those frustrating moments where you're like, oh, this just isn't what I want it to be, it's easy to reflect on that's that may be. And we have lots of room for improvement, but it is so far superior to when we were on paper records. Looking back it is is just never the right, um, never the right strategy. Right. And and it can literally save lives in that situation, right? Absolutely. Like terrific, terrific. Oh, so let's talk then about Artisite and your move to the the vendor community. Yeah, so you know, this probably comes back then to to my sort of phrase um, of my you know sort of driving my direction in my career, which is really wanting to bring the joy back to medicine. And, and when I say that, you know, there is again maybe sort of a thought that people say joy, bringing the joy back to medicine applies to physicians. That is absolutely not the way that I think of it. Bringing the joy back to to medicine, the practice of medicine for physicians, but really bringing the joy back to medical careers um, in the full context of of that clinical team environment for everyone. So again, nurses, pharmacists, therapists, we're seeing burnout. We're seeing, um, as you mentioned in in the introduction, people leaving all of those areas, and and in large part that is being contributed to because uh, we're asking them to do more and more and more, and we've never taken anything away. And so as I was moving through my career, I mean, I'll be honest, there were definitely a lot of times, especially as a CMIO, where again, as the physician champion, I was like, well, I can make it suck less. And I mean, that's, you know, that's kind of a catchphrase, but it's maybe not the most ideal slogan, but it was honest, right? I wasn't going to promise something to people that wasn't there. And again, I really believed one incremental improvement at a time was where we needed to go. But in the last few years, we're really starting to see burgeoning technologies and and really an opportunity that's based on the foundation that's been laid by ubiquitous EHR distribution across all our health systems. So that needed to really happen to lay a foundation. And then now the, the newer and burgeoning technologies that are coming out that we can add to that environment or leverage in that environment um, to truly be able to bring the joy back to medicine became a real focus of mine. And, and and the thought process for me was really around friction reduction. So what are the things that on an everyday basis make a nurse, a physician, a pharmacist, a respiratory therapist frustrated? They don't go home at the end of the day saying, I don't want to see any more patients because I don't like them. They go home at the end of the day saying, I can't see another patient because I can't document one more note. 
I can't spend any more time communicating to the 7,000 people that I need to communicate to. Those are the things that cause frustration and burnout. They want to be focused on the clinical care delivery. And so as I was evaluating um, tools and, and really was trying to develop a reputation across the industry, if you know of a tool that is going to reduce this friction and bring the joy back to medicine, I want to see it. I want to hear about it. Even if it's early, um, they're going to take iterative uh, improvement. But again, kind of like way back in my EHR days, I felt like if I don't get involved in helping those people craft where this can go, I'm really not doing anything to help the industry move forward. And so I was introduced um, to Artisite through a company that we did a lot of work with uh, when I was at Monument Health. And I took my chief nursing officer with me to go and, and hear a pitch. And we were with several other health systems. Um, and the CEO and founder of, of Artisite is, is a physician. And really his mantra was he was frustrated and he started a company to figure out how he could leverage technology to you know, eliminate his frustration. And so Artisite is a smart hospital sensor network platform that at its heart leverages things like computer vision, natural language processing, other ambient sensor-based technologies to try and identify in the environment alongside the clinicians that are doing their work, high friction elements that could be removed or automated in some way. And, and the, the ambient technology that being able to you know, use computer vision to see, to use natural language to understand, hear, and maybe even provide responses back. Um, and then we use some technology for understanding where things are in space as well. The idea was clinicians see, hear, and touch. Right, those are the senses we use in order to um, to make our assessments. We didn't want to replace those elements that need to be used for critical clinical decision making, but those pieces that are related to when you see, hear, and sense where something is, and go check a box in a system. Well, what if we could just check that box for you? Because we can see it, we can hear it, we can know where things are. And so the premise really of the company was all across a health system, whether that's in the operating room, whether that's in patient rooms, whether that's in a clinic setting, what are ways that we can leverage ambient sensor-based smart you know, technologies to acquire information and automate downstream things? sending a communication to the next person who needs to know something, um, creating documentation um, in the EHR, those kinds of things. And I was completely blown away by this concept. Uh, my chief, chief nursing officer was, was equally impressed, and we had a number of ideas really about where we could see this going. And so kind of started along a path of, of forging that relationship and over the course of the next year, while we were deploying and, and getting the work in, in place and um, sharing that vision, both with our organization, but I was so excited. I started sharing, you know, early on my excitement and experience more broadly. And so the CEO of Artisite came to me at one point and he said, you seem to be our biggest cheerleader. You tell our story almost better than even I can tell our story. Um are you excited enough about this to come work for me? And as much as I loved my role in a health system, I think, you know, for me, each of these iterations in my career, 
when I took care of patients, I was taking care of one person at a time, which has such amazing, amazing things that it can offer you both personally and um, and professionally. And there are patients I still and their families I still keep in touch with, but that was impacting one person at a time. I moved into leadership roles so that I could impact an organization at a time, um, a community at a time. And this opportunity really was a way for me to be able to impact potentially the whole healthcare ecosystem if we really do this right. And again, to me, there's no more burning platform right now than how do we, one, bring the joy back to medicine and two, do it in such a way that while we reduce the friction, we can take care of more people than we know we have today because we know that that's the direction that all of this is going, um, but be able to do that extremely effectively with high quality and with the purpose and expectation that people will want to be in these careers and technology is absolutely the way that's going to have to happen. And so I excitedly said, yes, I'm willing to take that leap and, and now have been doing that for just a little over a year. And you explained Artisite perfectly with the see here in touch, but there's certainly things that only the doctor or the physician or the nurse practitioner or whoever it is needs to see here in touch for their own clinical needs. And then there's a whole bunch of stuff that needs here here in touching that anybody could do or any machine could do. Right. And and why should the doctor or the, the provider spend time doing that? That's that's a terrific like description of the company. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, for in healthcare for so long, our solution and there's lots of data to support this has actually always been to add people. Right. Even when we brought out EHRs and people were frustrated with documentation, we started things like seeing things like, well, let's have scribes. Let's have people, you know, let's add a person to come in and do those things. And that is, again, one, not sustainable. Those people aren't there to be able to do that work. Um, and two, it's just not the most effective and efficient way to do it. Humans as data entry um, clerks is is really not the best way to gather data. Uh, we have uh, we have a health system recently that came to us um, asking a question clinically about did we have some information about what was happening in the patient's room, not from a video, like not did we have video recording, but did we have metadata around what was happening in the room because the EHR didn't have any, the staff hadn't documented anything. And we were able to provide 10 different things that had happened through metadata that they were able to use in a in a process improvement you know methodology for addressing the patient's situation that just hadn't made it into the EHR not because they probably shouldn't have been not because they couldn't have been but everyone only has so much time so much energy things get left things get you know lost and the reality is documentation is sometimes one of those things that either doesn't get done or it doesn't get done timely enough to actually provide a true reflection and that's really as we look forward as a company to where is this all going you know everyone is getting so data driven that in addition to removing the the burdens of um, the high friction we want to provide really high quality data because everybody says in order to be able to predict what this person needs in order to be able to understand where this is going we're going to crunch all of this data well, if the data you have is poor quality and inaccurate, when you crunch it is not going to give you very good insights. And yet, foundationally, one of our challenges is most of our data is 
acquired by humans trying to put it in. So again, that's sort of another pivot to the focus for us is how do we really look at things? I don't, we don't want to be providing a decision like we think this person has this problem. What we want to be saying is when you think this person has this problem and these three other things are happening, what can we put somewhere else? What can we document? What other team members could we alert that would remove those things from your plate so you can remain clinically and um, engaged in the critical clinical decision-making about what that diagnosis is and what to do next? Terrific. So on that level, can you give us an example, maybe from the point of view of a particular kind of provider or, or, or a particular kind of provider in a particular setting where um, artisite might get rid of that friction and, and bring back the joy, like a, a certain kind of patient walks in the door? Yeah. So um, where we started, uh, the original, again, our our um, CEO, he's is an anesthesiologist by um, clinical training and practice. So the OR was where a lot of his friction points were. And uh, the things that I'm going to mention are not going to be mind blowing, like, oh, that's, you know, wow, that is crazy. That's so amazing. It's more that when you do some of these things 30 times a day, you just want to not have to do them, right? And so we're not trying to, again, say, oh, we identified this patient needed this thing and saved their leg, right? It's more like in the operating room, one of the first things that happens is a patient gets wheeled into the operating room and for a whole variety of reasons, it needs to be documented what time that happened. It's related to a variety of different quality and safety metrics around how long a patient is in the room, what else might have been happening, all of those kinds of things. So again, in our normal process, the same people who are trying to bring that patient in, get them acclimated to what's going to be happening, move them over onto a surgical table, um, get them oriented to everything, is also supposed to be taking a second to run over to the computer and click a box that says the patient's in the room. And when that case is about to be done and the patient's anesthesia is, they're coming out of anesthesia, typically what will happen is, you know, there's a drape that kind of goes over the patient's head as a standard process in, in an in a OR. And anesthesia will drop that drape as they're waking them up so that the patient isn't disoriented or concerned about there being a drape there. And that's usually a sign that about 10 minutes from now, that patient's going to be ready to go to the post-operative recovery area. Again, that usually then means somebody needs to pause what they're doing, run over to the phone or get onto a device and contact the post-operative recovery area and say, hey, we're about to bring this person. So now we're taking highly skilled nurses and surgical techs and asking them to take their focus away from the patient and run over to click a box or get on a phone and let somebody else know. If I have cameras in the room and I can see and understand what's happening, it does, I can see a patient being wheeled into a room or walking into a room or whatever. They're wearing a gown. I can identify who the patient is, you know, that that is a patient, that they are now in the room. I could click that box. That drape coming down is a very easy visual. I could automate a, um, a communication that would then, you know, let those people know 
we're about 10 minutes from coming out. It's those little things that, again, it's it's that friction reduction, all these little things all day long that people are running around doing that take their focus away from the patient that we want to be able to eliminate. So in patient rooms in the hospital, as an example, falls for a patient are a terrible, terrible complication. And it's not surprising that they're difficult to prevent and keep from happening because when patients are sick and in the hospital, they have needs, they may normally be quite strong, and then they don't realize how weakened they are. They start to move around. They decide they need to go to the bathroom. They want to get a glass of water. They think they're fine, and suddenly they're trying to get up. There have been lots of different things that have been used over time, including putting a person physically in the room to sit with you 24 hours a day to try and keep you from having a fall. Even that doesn't work. Um, and not to mention that it is really uh, labor intensive and difficult to, to staff for that. So then people started saying, well, what if we had cameras and had a person watching cameras and they could speak into the room and tell people, you know, stay in bed, wait for someone. That definitely helped, at least from the staffing perspective. Um, there was potentially some improvement in falls. But one of the challenges is if you're watching 12 rooms, how do you know where to look? You're just sort of scanning and trying to decide. And while you might be looking to the bottom right, something really concerning might be happening in the upper left. And so one of our algorithms doesn't, we don't want to replace that person. We want to give them real-time knowledge. We're analyzing all the movements that the patient is making in real time and then telling that person in front of the screen, you should look over here, allowing them to interact with the patient ahead of time and with a cue that says, oh, hey, you're doing this that looks higher risk. What is it you need? Can I help you? Do I need to send some when in the room, and we've seen substantial or um, you know fall reductions for our health systems doing that. So again, these aren't things that people are like, wow, that is gonna you know that completely changes the face of medicine. But one little thing at a time, it absolutely does change, and it changes the um, it changes the effect for the patient who now didn't have a fall. It changes the effect for the patient in the operating room whose surgical team is now paying very dedicated attention to them. But it also helps our staff, again, feel like not everything is on their shoulders and those pieces that we could remove will do. And so all of our algorithms are things that we co-develop with the institutions we deploy at because one, we need their environments in order to train artificial intelligence. So you can't fake that. And two, that helps us know what problems are the real problems that need to be solved. We all come from healthcare at Artisite. However, there's nobody better to tell us what they need help with than the people who are doing it still today. And so, you know, it's a real partnership for us with our customers, both in deploying the technology we already have, but also in figuring out where should we go next with this? Because there's thousands of opportunities. And, and that's what it sounds like, too. Um, I was actually saying, wow, when you did that first, you know, because it's so it, it may not be, you know, the the cure for cancer. Right. But it's so commonsensical that everybody can tie into that and go, yeah, why 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 is anybody wasting their time doing it? Right. Like, I, I wish, you know, my my alarm was set by the time I pull my covers over. Like you could you can think about how machines can easily replace it. Um, I, I and the other thing is, you know, people are some of my favorite people, but people make mistakes. And so you are actually stopping medical errors from happening, like the post-op not being ready for them or being too full. And I can see all like repercussions in terms of scheduling and 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 how to time 
transitioning people from one site of care to the other, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the other piece that we think about a lot when it comes to the people that are trying to do all of those things is what are they, you know, in in this real moment, it seems like it's a quick and easy thing to do. But when we start to analyze and look at the differences between what they really did and what we can see with the camera, we can actually see that there are discrepancies and we're able to build trust. And this is, I mean, digging into building trust with artificial intelligence is a huge element right now. It's getting so much buzz and there's so much discussion and there's articles out there about, you know, physicians and other clinicians saying, I don't know that I want AI coming in and telling me what to do. If we can start with little things like, well, we're just going to click a box that said the patient came in the room. And by the way, we could show you some, you know, clips of things where when you documented it, it was four minutes later than when the camera detected it. I can I can build trust, right? One, people aren't real worried that I'm um, going to do something that is high risk or concerning if what I'm doing is clicking a box for work that they don't really want to be doing. Again, going back to curing cancer, there's a reason Watson didn't get that done, right? It, we weren't ready for it. The data is not there. The information isn't there. And the trust is not there, even if all those things were in place to sort of say, yes, AI can cure cancer. We may get to that point, but we need to crawl and walk and then run into that space. And by starting using these kinds of artificial intelligence tools like computer vision, natural language processing, large language models, et cetera, and focusing them on workflow elements, on friction reduction elements, it allows people to gain experience and an understanding and a comfort with how those things are done, how to assess them, and how to, to determine that it is a, you know, is or isn't um, an additive element to their workflow. And that allows us then to start going into those deeper things where we're where somebody at some point is going to want to say, well, here, let me help you make a diagnosis. Let me help you in a treatment plan. Those are things that will happen over time. But if we can walk into those by gaining some experience with the same kinds of tools in a lower risk situation in and a much more trans, uh, uh, transparent situation, again, it, was the patient in the room or not? Did the camera see it? When was the box clicked? There's no black box there. That's very easy for me to be able to show and under, help people understand. Those are the kinds of things that are going to build trust and where organizations can start doing work with artificial intelligence now. And, and you don't need a nursing degree or a, an MD to, to tell whether there's somebody's entered the room or not, right? They're not losing their job yeah. because they can't measure that. Um, just touching on the headlines a bit, um, certainly ChatGPT shattered you know, uh, the world uh, a year ago. From your standpoint or for Artisite standpoint, did that change at all what you're doing? Did it did it maybe make your clients more nervous about it or or did the technology itself change your world? Yeah, well, I think a couple of things. The first thing I will say that was great and exciting about it um, was it got everybody talking about artificial intelligence, right? And so that's great. We we need people, you know, there's the hype cycle. The hype cycle, we need to have the up and then the realization on the slide back, you know, into reality. But without the hype, you're really never going to get to the, the slide and back into reality. And so chat GPT accelerated that hype. Um, it did a couple of things that were a little convoluting as well for a lot of people. They equated 
chat GPT equals artificial intelligence. There's a whole bunch of kinds of artificial intelligence and machine learning that don't have anything to do with large language models. Um, and chat GPT, I mean, it's kind of like using the word Kleenex, right? It's a brand. Um, it, it, the tool of using large language models goes way beyond chat GPT. Um, but again, it introduced a concept and opened up more area for discussion. Um, maybe on the negative side, we saw a lot of companies decide they needed to add the words AI into their tagline, into their um, company, you know, sort of marketing materials. And not all of those people that are saying that are really doing artificial intelligence. So it does muddy the water a little bit. But for us, it gives us an opportunity to talk about differentiators and helping people understand how to um, assess artificial intelligence tools or tools that claim to leverage artificial intelligence. So that was a great opportunity for us as, as experts in, in AI with a huge team of AI scientists and software engineers that do nothing but that to be able to say to people, well, you know, if you're looking at a tool and they say they do AI, ask these three questions. So, you know, all, all of those things are were both good and, you know, had some, um, you know, this is all double-edged. The final piece I will say is, we are using large language models um, ourselves and trying to now figure out not chat GPT, um, you know, less of the open source, but more proprietary, but large language model assessments um, with some of our customers to figure out, again, some of the friction elements. So you mentioned in the OR um, being able to make sure the timing of the schedule and these various things whether that's the OR or in a hospital. I mean, hospitals have throughput challenges consistently. We hear about hospitals where um, patients are waiting in emergency rooms in hallways for a day or two to get up to the bed that they're needing. What are the elements that are contributing to that? To that? A lot of it is inefficiencies, and they're inefficiencies that we can't tackle because we don't have the right data to do it. Large language models will likely be um, a tool set that, again, if people are documenting all kinds of things, well, how do we assimilate that information and be able to then sort of anticipate what kind of needs people might having, be having, what kind of throughput challenges we might encounter? So we're definitely doing that and using those tools in our own work and incorporating that as one of the many forms of artificial intelligence we use. Um, but overarchingly, I would say that coming into the landscape in such a huge way um, was overall very positive for everyone because, again, it, it really got people talking about it. And that's what we need is we need more conversation, more understanding so that people do get more comfortable with really what is artificial intelligence. I even think about it a little bit like back to when we first started talking about the cloud, right? And people were like, the cloud. We need to go to the cloud. Right. And my comment was always, if you can tell me what the cloud is, I'll tell you when and how we're going to get there. Artificial intelligence, I feel like we're in that same kind of learning phase. We need people who are hearing and talking and thinking about it. It's real in lots of ways. It might not be all that it, you know, um, that everybody is talking about, but the opportunity to have the conversation, create the education and start building toward it is really exciting. That's that's fantastic. And and talking about your company, uh, congratulations. Artisite, right, was presented with Chime's Innovator of the Year Award uh, by Chime there. Uh, you were co-winners with Guthrie Clinic. So uh, first year the award was presented jointly to a vendor and a health system. Um, congratulations. Was there a particular technology or, or something that, that Chime thought was uh, 
was a, a good example or a good model, or was it generally just how your your company functioned? I think I think what it really was was first of all Guthrie Clinics very forward thinking approach to embracing this concept that cameras and speakers and these ambient technologies throughout a health system, creating a smart hospital platform and network is where we're going to have to go to make the improvements and provide care. That was, I mean, that was a very um, cutting edge, right, decision for them to make. Them then partnering with us to find ways to truly leverage that technology, because again, they can put cameras and speakers up. The artificial intelligence part of it is not something that the average health system is going to come into the resources to do that themselves. And so I think for time, and I'm, you know, guessing to an extent, but I think for them, what they saw was neither the success on either side, Guthrie as the innovator of the year, wouldn't have been able to do what they were doing without the technology that we were providing. And we similarly were taking a lot of direction from Guthrie around clinically addressing the problems they wanted to solve. And I think it was the synergy between us and the partnership that really made Chime say, you know, not only is Guthrie standing out from an innovator perspective, but Artisite is, you know, deserves some of the acknowledgement as well, because the partnership that they created to get to the results that they were achieving, they would not have been able to do alone. Terrific, Stephanie. This has been great. Um, and I tell you what, I'll leave you with any final thoughts, maybe something about bringing the joy back to medicine. Yeah, well, I would just say I, I think the future is so bright. There are so I mean, Artisite and a number of other great new technologies that are really directed um, at being able to systematically reduce the friction, bring the joy back to medicine. I see health systems focusing on this now and trying to put resources into to doing this. And so, um, again, the technology is there, the investments are being made, and it's a really exciting time to be in this space. Thank you. And and Stephanie, just, just the tone of your voice and your own excitement, it kind of carries us all along. So very wow. much appreciate the discussion. We learned a lot. Uh, we've been talking with Dr. Stephanie Lahr, president of Artisite. Uh, thank you, Stephanie. Thank you so much. And this has been the Collective Voice of Health IT, a weedy podcast, where the health information technology community connects, collaborates, and creates solutions for a better health system. You can find this episode and many more on our website, weedy.org. Thank you all for joining us. Be safe. Uh, and part of being safe is going to get your annual visit. Uh, let's see if AI can help you with that. Thank you. <laughs>